If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is hour number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this February 24th. 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And if you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can find the link to my brand new other podcast, which is distributed internationally by the Global Story Network called Individual One. And this is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, I, I really need you to uh, go and uh, subscribe to that podcast, rate and review it. It would be uh, also really good if you could uh, follow us on Twitter. The Twitter handle for the Individual One podcast is Individual, the number one pod. That's Individual One Pod. Very easy to find. We have over 8,000 uh, Twitter followers already on the Individual One podcast, which is just uh, into its seventh episode. And the focus of the Individual One podcast is pretty much all the news about President Donald J. Trump. So that's important because this podcast, as it is now able to expand for a very variety of reasons uh, related to the Individual One podcast, basically because we do the Individual, Individual One podcast, I can now do World According to Zig more often. But as part of that, this podcast will not be nearly as Trump-focused. So if you're really into uh, the Trump news, make sure you check out Individual One Podcast. Again, you can find a link at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. We're available via iTunes and uh, most other places where podcasts are available. So make sure you check that out. I will be talking in this hour at least some about Donald Trump and specifically about the uh, potential Democratic uh, opposition to him. But there's a lot of uh, very interesting Trump news that you will want to check out by listening to the Individual One podcast. So we'll be continuing to do both of those podcasts on Sundays, and the Individual One podcast generally comes out on Sunday and on Wednesday of each week. Uh, there will not be an hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast this week because we have no guest. Uh, that is for a good reason, which I will explain later on in this hour. I start this hour, though, with non-Trump-related news, although there is a Trump angle. There's almost always a Trump angle. And by the way, uh, if there's a theme to this hour, it's the, um, the validation of the theory that there's always a John Ziegler angle. I joke uh, sometimes that uh, almost all the stories we do on The World According to Zig prove the old six degrees of separation rule. Not by design, but as I was going through the stories, I realized, wow, uh, the six degrees of John Ziegler rule it can be addressed to basically every topic I'm going to discuss in this hour of the world according to Zig. So keep that in mind for whatever it's worth. But we begin with uh, Jussie Smollett. And I have to say, uh, we were all over this way sooner than everybody else was. Uh, in fact, two weeks ago on the world, world According to Zig podcast, I told you that Jussie Smollett's story was bullcrap. That it was all... Now, I didn't know what the true story was. In fact, it appears as if both me and the Chicago police were wrong in our original theory about what happened. Of course, the most important part of this is he was not telling the truth. Of course, for those who somehow missed this several weeks ago, 
Uh, the actor, Jossie Smollett, who no one had ever really heard of other than fans of the TV show Empire, claimed to be the victim of a vicious, horrible hate crime in Chicago at 2 a.m. in the middle of a polar vortex. None of the story made any damn sense. There was nothing substantiating it. Very quickly, the police started leaking information that indicated to me that they didn't believe the story. I talked to some people in Chicago in the media. They backed that up. They said nobody in the police believes this story. Nobody in the media believes the story, but we're all afraid to talk about it because after all, Jesse Smollett is a protected person. He has a political correctness force field. These are my words. Uh, he is black. He is a celebrity. He is gay. He's now the victim of a hate crime. He's a liberal, anti-Trump person. So the news media has a vested interest in protecting him. <clears throat> and consequently, they're not going to do or say anything that would make them vulnerable to attack if they happen to be wrong. Because you can't, you can't dispute the story of someone with that much protection. Because you'll get destroyed, especially if you have no protection yourself. If you're a white male, specifically a, a white conservative straight male, you have no political correctness protection. And I'm obviously in that category. It's like you know, you're, you're reentering the atmosphere without any heat shields. You're going to get burned up. <laughs> When it comes, when you come back into the Earth's atmosphere, you're you're gonna you're gonna be toast, uh, and everyone fears being the first one. No one wants to be the first one to call bullshit on a story like this. Well, me being me and having less to lose than most people in the news media because I'm a dead man walking, and the dead man walking can be the most dangerous kind of person there is. Uh, I did not fear it. Thankfully, I work uh, for Mediate, where I write a column a couple times a week. You can find those columns at freespeechbroadcasting.com, among other places, as well as my uh, Twitter feed. And uh, and you know, very slowly but surely, I wrote a series of columns starting to poke holes into Jussie Smollett's story. Now, back to the part where I was wrong, and I, I believe the police were wrong. I believed that this was not an organized conspiracy hoax from the beginning. I believed that this was some sort of a domestic dispute with someone he had had a relationship with, and it turned out uh, that he decided to try to cover that up by claiming a hate crime. Because I'm not a conspiracy person. I don't believe in conspiracies. I don't, and, I, and the main reason I don't believe in conspiracies is people aren't smart enough to pull them off. Well, in a weird way, this story proves that. <laughs> Because part of why the police did not believe originally in, an, in a completely premeditated, organized hoax was because it was so badly organized. It was so poorly planned to the point where now that we've learned what really happened here, Charles Barkley, you know, one of our favorite people on the World According to Zig podcast. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, he, he got a lot of play this week for mocking the Jussie Smollett uh, hoax and conspiracy. One of the things that he, he mocked the most was, uh, hey, Jesse, if you're going to commit a crime, use cash, not a check. <laughs> I mean, who, who writes a check to the guy that they're going to have fake beat them up? The other thing that's <clears throat> not getting a, enough attention, in my opinion, is, uh, and I, you know, my wife and I watch a lot of Datelines. And it's amazing to me how dumb people are when committing these types of crimes, especially in the modern era, where almost every store has surveillance video. So if you're going to go and purchase items for a fake hate crime, maybe it would be a good idea to, um, first of all, not do it right before the crime. At least make the authorities work. To find the video at least a little bit or maybe maybe you don't actually go buy the rope at a major store maybe you fashion the rope out of something you have in your house <laughs> this is incredibly poorly done and and it's obvious that the police were smelling bullshit from the beginning and that they were making that clear from the beginning um, but they were afraid to say it and, you know, the superintendent of the Chicago police, who happens to be a black man, got a lot of praise for his indignation in a press conference that he held after Smollett was uh, arrested and charged, which I was not impressed by. 
I mean, he, he I, look, I, I'm all for righteous indignation over this kind of thing, and I hope that they throw the book at Jesse Smollett. But he, this superintendent was part of the problem. Whether he intended to be or not, he made numerous statements supportive of Smollett at the beginning of this whole situation that made it far more difficult for people like me to call bullshit. Now, I realize people like me are not the, import, the most important element of this. Justice is the most important element. And I'm open to the idea that he was doing it on purpose. They were playing possum. They were playing dumb. So that uh, to, to borrow a metaphor from this story, they were giving Smollett enough rope so he could hang himself, which essentially he did, especially when he went on Good Morning America with that incredibly bogus interview with uh, Robin Roberts. But he went too far. And I'm not sure he was lying. I'm not sure about this. He didn't He didn't indicate that he was lying when he was supporting Smollett. I think he personally may have believed the story, maybe because he wanted to, or maybe just it was hard for him to understand why Smollett as a black man would lie about something like this. But the reality is he made it more difficult for the truth to come out about this because the way this works is the media is looking at the police, and if the police are not providing them with any cover then they're not going to come out and be ahead of the herd and, and call bullshit on Jesse Smollett. That's never going to happen. So this story got delayed in collapsing largely because of the superintendent of the Chicago police. And that's not a major, quote-unquote, crime on his part. But it, it, to me, it diminishes the amount of credit he deserves for his righteous indignation uh, press conference. I'm not sure what's going to happen to Smollett here it's amazing that it, it has taken fox so long to effectively take him off of the tv show empire to my knowledge he's not even been officially fired yet although he's been removed from the last two episodes so effectively he's going to be fired this is a, basically a slow firing but when you look at what happened with roseanne for heaven's sakes and i'm no roseanne fan but roseanne who's a much bigger star was was the focal point of her entire uh, TV show, which was getting huge ratings, much bigger than Empire. And I realize it's ABC, Disney, as opposed to Fox, but it, they're basically all the, you know, they, they all work by effectively the, the same rules of engagement. And, and Roseanne has her entire career, what was left of it, destroyed because of a really dumb tweet. A dumb tweet that she claims she was under medication when she, she sent. So she gets her whole career and life destroyed over that. Meanwhile, Jesse Smollett engages in an organized hoax, committing numerous crimes, costing the city of Chicago hundreds of man hours to investigate a bogus allegation, and he hasn't even been officially fired yet? I, I'm sending the, you know, with a, with a lie that created enormous racial turmoil in this country, pitting whites against blacks and Trump supporters against non-Trump supporters. And the media, of course, buys all into it because, you know, the media, they're a bunch of idiots, imbeciles. So, I mean, there's a lot of different lessons to be learned here, none of which, of course, will be learned because we never learn anything. Um, and as part of, of the story collapsing this week, I did a lot of very interesting interviews. Uh, Glenn Beck had me on for a second time to discuss this. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Glenn's situation because, I mean, I think Glenn felt like it was safe to have me on about this because in this particular situation, I'm essentially on the pro-Trump side, right? That's the way this works. Uh, John Ziegler, I, I think he's fantastic. What a what a interesting mind he has but not interesting enough for me to talk about anything that doesn't necessarily go in the pro-trump direction because that would be too too dangerous and too scary that glenn's never told me that but that's how i, I interpret it maybe i'm wrong maybe it's just a, a coincidence but it, uh, what's not a coincidence and i again i want to make sure I, I make this clear i have great sympathy for what uh, glenn beck is dealing with when it comes to donald trump and having to thread this needle this is a needle that in my opinion cannot be thread and, you know, has he done some things that I have given him some grief for? Absolutely. Uh, and has he gone further than I would have liked him to, to in, in placating the Trump elements of the conservative media audience? 
Uh, yes, but he's got a lot of mouths to feed uh, at the Blaze. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what I would have done in this situation. My wife tells me I would have told everyone to go fuck themselves. <laughs> and I would have just let the whole thing burn to the ground. And by the way, she probably wouldn't have been happy about that. But since I'm not in his position and I have far, 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 far less to lose, uh, it's difficult for me to judge uh, that kind of uh, set of circumstances. So I, and, I, and I think that we have kind of a mutual underground admiration for each other when it comes to this particular issue, because we're in very, very different circumstances. But I'll tell you, uh, Bill O'Reilly also had me on this week to, to, on his, I guess, online, I guess you would call it a video cast or TV show, what have you, to talk about uh, Jussie Smollett and give me whatever credit. I, I don't understand why I get credit for this. Here's, here's my position on, on my role in the Jussie Smollett deal. I'm basically the kid uh, in the, the, um, the story of the... Uh, the emperor with no clothes. Remember that story? Uh, Trump supporters obviously missed that story in uh, fourth grade or whatever. The, however old we were when we were told that story, but um, I remember it's that story well. And it's basically the story of this kid who's like, uh, dude, uh, the emperor's not wearing any clothes. His new jacket doesn't exist. Uh, he's naked. And why isn't anyone saying this? Because it's freaking obvious. And everyone else is going, no, no, no. It's beautiful. Well. You know, that's that's my role. I, I'm the guy who says, wait a minute, there's no clothes on. This is, come on, people. Can, can we just tell the truth here? Because for whatever reason, mainly because I've taken so many bullets and I'm still standing, uh, I have no fear of these kind of situations. And so, you know, that's the role I play. And Bill O'Reilly had me on. John Gibson had me on. Basically, I was doing the... The uh, the tour of former Fox News hosts, Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, and John Gibson, as well as uh, several others. And that was interesting because, of course, you know, actual Fox News would never have me on. Now, that would be too dangerous. That, that You know, unless it was taped. They would never have me on live because then they might get a situation. They might get a security breach then. Because we can't have someone who's anti-Donald Trump. He might, he might uh, mention, oh, by the way, uh, you know who else got duped by Jesse Smollett? Donald Trump. <laughs> we couldn't have that. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's because that's what happened. Donald Trump also supported Jesse Smollett and, and said nothing about, you know, defending MAGA Nation, that they would never do something like this. Uh, but, of course, now that uh, it's all been proven to be a hoax, he's, he's able to do that, and he gets no, no uh, blowback from his cult whatsoever. You would think that the cult would be at least a little upset. Hey, why'd you buy into this story, Donald? Do you really believe we're capable of doing this kind of thing, that we're hanging out at 2 a.m. in the middle of Chicago in a polar vortex just waiting for black gay guys to beat up? Apparently Trump believes that. Apparently Trump believes his base is capable of that kind of thing. And he gets no, no blowback for it whatsoever. One other show I did that I really want to mention because I wrote a column about it, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, because I think it encapsulates every aspect of this whole Jesse Smollett situation and why we're not going to learn any lessons, or at least very few of us are going to learn lessons. So Dan Abrams from ABC... Uh, he does a lot of stuff on Good Morning America. He's their legal analyst. You'll see him on 2020 a lot. He also uh, owns and founded Mediate, where I write a couple times a week. And he hosts a, uh, a show on the Sirius XM radio network on POTUS, the POTUS channel. And he's had me on a couple times to talk about Jesse Smollett, because obviously he knows I was way ahead of the curve on calling bullshit on this story. And the second time he had me on, he had me on uh, with another guest, for a full hour, but he was mostly taking phone calls. Now, normally, I'm not a big fan of phone calls in talk shows. I think it's lazy on the part of the host. I think it's kind of silly to think that somehow a caller, except in unique situations, is going to have any great insight, and they randomly call in. And, you know, most call screeners and talk radio stations are terrible. And you know, my, my, so when I did talk radio commercially, I hardly ever took phone calls. Not because we didn't get them or didn't want them, just because I, I never found like they added very much. But in this very strange set of circumstances, Dan took two back-to-back -to -back phone calls that I think illuminated everything you need to know about where we are on Jesse Smollett. This was fascinating. And I could have written a lot more than just one column on it. So somebody, a guy, calls in from Arizona, and he starts to talk about this very emotional story that happened, he said, that day, 
where his wife, who has brown skin, was accosted by some Trump supporters who started yelling at her, build the wall, build the wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. No, not, not him. Build. No, he wasn't, he wasn't there. But, I mean, but apparently some Trump supporters were... I, 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 my envision of this story was you know, somehow she was going into a store. They were outside the store, and they started yelling at her because she's brown-skinned, and she was very upset about it. And ironically enough, she was a Trump supporter herself. He was not a Trump supporter, and he was very upset about this. Now, Dan, being a member of the mainstream news media and having a lot to lose, having a lot of stature, and, and partially because I think he— earnestly and honestly believed the story. That was his, his initial inclination to believe the story. He was very empathetic to the caller. And understandably so. The caller was very emotional, maybe a little too emotional, given the circumstances. But Dan was all in on, wow, I'm really sorry this happened. And, you know, our heart goes out to you and your wife. And, and he handled the call exactly like he should have from a professional broadcasting perspective. However, when it came to the truth of the matter, that apparently was lost. And what was fascinating is the very next caller happened to be a black guy from Arizona. And the black guy from Arizona calls in and says, hey, um, I don't want to be a jack... I'm paraphrasing here. I don't want to be a jackass... But I'm calling bullshit on that story because that's not consistent with my experience as a black man in Arizona. And I'm not sure that that story isn't, you know, I'm not sure we just didn't have uh, that guy do a Jesse Smollett on us. Now, I'm on the other, I'm on the phone line listening to this and I'm thinking, wow, that's fascinating. Because I didn't think that the first caller was totally creating a hoax. Because I'm, I'm, again, I'm, a, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I thought maybe he was getting the story secondhand and misinterpreting it, and maybe his wife misinterpreted it. Maybe these boneheads were just, for some reason, yelling, build the wall, and she thought it was directed at her because of her brown skin. So I'm trying to come up with all these rational explanations for how this could happen without being a, a blatantly racist situation. Meanwhile, the second caller saying, uh-uh, this isn't this isn't right. This feels like a Jesse Smollett. And Dan, to his credit, it's like, wow, you know what? I guess that's possible, but isn't that sad that we're now living in a world where when anyone makes an allegation like this, we immediately have to at least consider, if not presume, that it might be bullshit. Again, this is my paraphrase of the, the whole situation. So as I'm listening to this, I'm going, boy, so the, this these two phone calls, this this series of phone calls, has really illuminated all aspects of the Jesse Smollett story. It shows why the mainstream news media, represented by Dan Abrams, was so willing and able to accept the story as true without giving it any real scrutiny. Yet the rank-and-file human being, the second caller, immediately has their BS detector going off because it didn't jive with their own experience. So I write a column about this and how all three guys handled the situation in a way that was mostly right but might have been partially wrong. Of course, this is still when I'm thinking that the, call, the first call wasn't a hoax, that he just was misunderstanding the situation, or maybe his wife was misunderstanding, or maybe it was a whisper down the lane because he was not there and a secondhand story is inherently unreliable. So I write the column, and the next day, <laughs> because of the column— Within XM Sirius, or Sirius XM, I guess as it's known, this column gets at least some notoriety or play. Well, guess what happens? People start listening to the the audio clip that's within the column, and they realize that this caller, the first caller from Arizona, has been calling multiple XM satellite radio shows with the same story over an extended period of time, changing the details as he goes, and that XM producers believe that the whole story is bullshit, that he's doing it just to get a rise out of people. And maybe because he's an anti-Trump person and he, you know, he's planting these this seed of, you know, Trump supporters are so racist they're yelling, build the wall uh, to my wife. Well, um, so we added an update to the column, which you can read at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But to me, that really illustrated exactly how we got into this. Because Dan's a smart guy. Dan's about um, as smart as they come in the mainstream news media. 
And, you know, he's seen it all, been through it all, started his career basically covering, or his major career covering the O.J. Simpson trial. He gets it. He's right on almost you know, every major case. I haven't quite convinced him yet on Penn State, I don't think. But, I mean, he, he's a smart guy. And yet here he is essentially disarmed because the natural inclination, what do I always say, is to play it safe. When you're somebody in a position of power or stature in the mainstream news media, you're always going to play it safe. And that means why risk scrutinizing a victim of any kind? There's no reward in it. Well, that equation protects fake victims, fake accusers. And that's how Jesse Smollett thought he was going to be able to get away with this so he could increase his salary because he would do a Colin Kaepernick. I, I really think that there's a lot of similarities between the Jesse Smollett situation and Colin Kaepernick. I'm probably one of the few that have made that comparison, but I, I, it's just that Colin Kaepernick got away with it because he didn't break any laws and because the uh, the liberal sports media was more in the tank for Colin Kaepernick than even the, uh, the liberal news media was for Jesse Smollett. Now, uh, I mentioned Penn State. There was a development this week which really angers me, which I think is worthy of mention, because there's also a lot of comparisons between Jesse Smollett and Penn State and the whole Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky scandal. The former president of Penn State, Graham Spanier, a guy I've gotten to know very well, though we've not spoken uh, in a long time because the last time we had a conversation, at least on the phone, I screamed at him, cursed at him, and uh, told him he was going to get convicted because he's being a wimp and his lawyers are being a wimp. And guess what happened? Guess Guess what happened? <laughs> Yes. Was I right? Yeah, it looks like I was. Correct. Yeah, um, the, because he did get convicted, even though his, his defense didn't even put on a case, didn't even question uh, the key witness in the case. It was the most wussified, pussified defense in history, just as I feared it would be, exactly why I was screaming at him. Uh, I, and uh, he, he, his lawyers basically thought... The bottom line of this is the case was so pathetic against him, both from a factual standpoint as well as a legal perspective, that they didn't think they needed to do anything risky. Like, for instance, making themselves vulnerable to backlash by actually questioning the one victim who took the stand in a hilariously absurd situation. I mean, it, it was the most, uh, it was... It was just flat-out ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was flat-out ridiculous. If you had been there, many people were that day. I was... Uh, Franco Harris, uh, Pittsburgh Steeler legend, was there that day. Everyone knew it was ridiculous. This, this, this so-called victim number five who took the stand as, as supposedly the person that, that Graham Spanier as the president of Penn State had, uh, had effectively enabled their sexual abuse um, by, by, by you know, endangering them. I think that's actually what the misdemeanor was. And, um, and so, I mean, because there was no felony. He got acquitted of the felonies. But this was, this was the one victim that happened after Penn State should have supposedly known about Sandusky that occurred on Penn State campus that supposedly then was, was Penn State's fault. And I'm going to get back to him in a second, but the reason why this is a news story now is that Graham Spanier's lawyers thought, okay, we're not going to get convicted because there's no evidence against us. Even if we are convicted, there's so many problems legally with the the verdict that will get this overturned and as i've been trying to tell everybody in this case for many years this is not a normal case you cannot game plan like to use a football analogy it's like if you're game planning for a football game that you think is going to be held in a domed stadium right <laughs> where with with referees that are remotely fair you can game plan like a normal legal defense like in a normal world a, an appellate court would look at Grand Spaniard's conviction and laugh at it and go, get the get this the fuck out of here. This is bullshit. That's what should have happened, and that's what his lawyers thought. They, I mean, they, 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 there was so many problems even legally. He, he shouldn't even have been eligible for the charge. It, doesn't, it didn't even fit within the statute of limitations. I mean, there was so many problems that his lawyers just thought, okay, you know what, we're going to get this taken care of legally eventually. But in this case, the football game is not being played indoors with reasonably fair officials the the football game is being held outside in the middle of a hailstorm and the officials are on the take and so therefore none of the normal plays work 
And this week, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania rejected Graham Spanier's last appeal. And so now it looks like Graham Spanier, and highly respected victim, by the way, of child abuse himself, the, the victim of child abuse himself, highly respected former president of Penn State, is going to spend at least two months in prison for something that Jerry Sandusky didn't even do. Graham Spanier never even had a conversation with Jerry Sandusky or even Mike McQuarrie, the alleged witness at Penn State. And he's going to prison. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, there's so many injustices in this case that it is mind-blowing. But this one might in some ways be the worst because even if you believe that Jerry Sandusky is guilty as hell, which he's not, even if you believe that, it's still asinine that Grand Spanier is going to go to prison. But let me get back to that, that so-called victim number five. So partially because of the Spanier news and other news that have occurred, including Jerry Sandusky's uh, sentence being vacated, Sandusky's lawyer, Al Lindsay, which you can find at uh, framingpaterno.com or, or on the SoundCloud app of, and, and iTunes for this uh, particular podcast. It was a couple weeks ago. Check it out. It's a very good interview. Um, because of uh, those news stories and, and, and the Penn State Board of Trustees issuing a rebuttal finally to the so-called free report, Jerry Sandusky's attorney, Al Lindsay, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago, as well as a couple of people that I've worked very closely with on this case, are going to hold a press conference tomorrow, Monday, in State College. Now, stupidly, they did not consult me on doing this. I think it's a mistake, but they're going to do it fine, so I'm trying to do my best to, to make sure that it's as productive as possible. And one of the things I did was I called Al Lindsay, and I said, Al, um, I got an idea for one of the things that you should do for your press conference. Why don't we take a, a photo of victim number five, since the Graham Spanier news is now out there. Graham Spanier is being sent to prison on the word of this victim number five. And victim number five supposedly is the centerpiece of the so-called Penn State cover-up to protect football. I have multiple photos of victim number five recently, after the Spanier trial, on Facebook, with big smile on his face, with his wife and his young daughter, all three of them wearing Saturdays are for Penn State football t-shirts, getting ready to host Penn State football watching parties in their massive Stone Harbor mansion where all their family members are wearing Penn State t-shirts to watch the, the football game. Posting on Facebook. If you take a blow-up of this photo and bring it to the press conference, the local media is going to shit themselves. Because everybody I show this photo to, people who don't even know anything about the case, they go, really? 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 I mean, it's the old picture says a thousand words, right? There is no possible way. This is the guy who testified that his sexual abuse had been covered up and enabled by Penn State University. Because that's not the way you would, you would not be where you would not put your child on Facebook in a Penn State is for for Saturdays is for Penn State football t-shirt. By the way, I don't know if it still is. It was the profile picture of his wife on Facebook. The whole thing is garbage. So what does Al Lindsay say to me? Uh, I can't do that, John. I said, why not? Because I'll get attacked. I'll get attacked. You'll get attacked? What do you, what? You're Jerry Sandusky's flipping attorney. We're, we are, we are, beyond in miracle territory here and you know and you're and you're afraid of being attacked you got to be kidding me you you've got to be kidding me it's just flat out ridiculous i mean then why are we doing this what why are you doing if you're not willing and, and as i said to him i said look i'm just going to keep making suggestions and you know when jerry sandusky dies an innocent man in prison i'm not going to leave it lose any sleep over it because i'll know i've done everything i possibly can do and then he's like, oh, John, John, come on, come on. I mean, oh, we've had our differences, but, uh, you know, come on. Uh, uh, and, uh, and look, I mean, I, he's got to make a living, and he's got to live his life, and I, and I respect whatever he wants to do, fine. But uh, he has been 
in my opinion, way, way too safe. He still is in that mode of, and I think having lived a very long legal career, this is a detriment. He still thinks this is a normal case too. He still thinks that the legal process is going to, that eventually Jerry will get a new trial and that the prosecution won't even retry the case because the, the whole case is such garbage. And we have so much evidence now that it's garbage. I don't believe that because we're not living in a rational world. We're living in a world where up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right. And uh, so anyway, I'll be curious what happens at that uh, press conference, uh, but I don't have, uh, I don't have high hopes. Um, another story that I was involved with, which actually has some similarities to the Jesse Smollett situation, is a story involving a uh, former uh, news anchor here in Los Angeles at KTLA by the name of Chris Burroughs. Now, you probably don't know who Chris Burroughs is, but this story is fascinating and I think tells you an awful lot about how the news media works and why the truth in controversial situations has no chance anymore. No chance. Uh, this is classic. So you may recall, and I mentioned this on the podcast at the time, that just after Christmas, Chris Burroughs, a popular anchor at the KTLA here in Los Angeles, had uh, suddenly passed away. And, uh, and I remember this very vividly. I didn't know really, I, I guess I might have seen him, but I didn't know the name Chris Burroughs. But my wife watches KTLA, and the morning after he died, we're watching and the whole program for hours is devoted to Chris Burroughs. And I'm thinking, wow, how did this happen? Did, did he die in a car accident? I mean, he's a young guy. He seems like he's in good health. Uh, they're, they're praising him. By the way, one of the weirdest things, you know, there's this, everyone who's experienced a, a death of someone close to them, you go through, uh, obviously, the different stages of grief. Well, these guys were like stage eight. The morning, the next morning, they're already laughing about his life and how funny he was and what a great guy he was. And, you know, uh, his young daughter, who's seven years old, and his wife, we, 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 our hearts go out to them. But, I mean, they're remembering his life. I mean, this is, this is like literally hours after they find out he's dead. And so, again, I'm presuming this must have been some sort of horrible accident that killed him. Well, at the bottom of the screen, they, don't, they barely even mention this on the, on the news, because after all, you would think at a news organization, it's a news story when a local celebrity dies suddenly, you would think that a news organization might actually tell you what the hell happened and why he died. But they mostly relegated it to a, to a crawl at the bottom of the screen, it was a suspected overdose. A suspected overdose? Okay, that's the horse of a different color. So then, of course, I'm realizing I'm not going to get the truth from KTLA. I need to go to some other news source to maybe find out what the hell happened here. Then I find out, yeah, this happened in the middle of the day at a seedy hotel in Glendale, not far from where I'm speaking to you right now. And my family, uh, my wife's family is all from Glendale. So we know this hotel. It's a, it's a dive. So he's in a dive hotel in the middle of the day. And get this, 911 was called by an unknown male or an unnamed male. An unnamed male called 911. And by the way, this unnamed male is not being charged with a crime and is not suspected of having committed a crime. Now, can we, you know, at the time, I'm like, can we please use our brains here? Can we, can we please connect the dots? This is a lot like Jesse Smollett. All right. The reason why, <laughs> the only explanation that makes any sense as to why you would be in a seedy hotel, you die in that hotel even though you're in great health, and an unnamed male is the one calling 911 is you were engaged in a gay sex act when this happened. That's the only explanation that makes any sense at all. It's obvious. So now I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. How in the world is KTLA portraying Chris Burroughs as like the greatest family man in history, 
Their hearts go out to his poor daughter. And I'm thinking, hold on. This guy was in the middle of a drug party while having gay sex. It's obvious. So I go on Twitter. And, of course, me being me, I, I state, hold on a second here. I'm, I'm getting sick of this Chris Burroughs love fest. And, by the way, this went on for days. This went on for days at KTLA where for days they're deifying this guy. And I go out there and I go, wait a minute. Can we please do the math on this? This was obviously a drug overdose while this guy was engaged in some sort of gay affair. Let's not portray him as this awesome family man because at at best his selfishness has resulted in his own seven-year-old daughter growing up without a dad. Not to mention that, I mean, this KTLA is supposed to be a news organization. So I, of course, get ripped because nobody is supposed to speak ill of the dead, no matter how you die. I mean, this is pervasive in all aspects of of death now. I mean, we we see this when people commit suicide now. Known people commit suicide. You're not even allowed to mention that they committed suicide, which is a big problem for me because suicide is a very selfish act. I've contemplated it myself after my mother was killed in a car accident in 1994, but I decided, you know what, I'm not going to be that selfish. There are people that are going to be hurt by this, so I'm not going to kill myself. Well, we shouldn't be enabling other people to kill themselves when, uh, when other people who do it aren't condemned and instead are often sometimes even praised, like they, again, acting like they got killed in a car accident. So back to Chris Burroughs. So I get ripped all over the place for having the gall to raise questions about this. And of course, everyone says, John, you don't need to say this now. When the, when the story comes out, you know, then we can talk about it, right? That's, that's, the, that's the excuse a lot of them give. This is not the time. This is not the time. I'm like, bullshit. Because when the time comes, I'm going to get the same damn story. It's not the time. It's never the time. Because then he's dead and it's old news and no one cares. Well, for sh- sure enough, for some reason, it's taken two months for the toxicology to come back and, the, and, you know, the story to come out. And last, on Friday night, it came out and boy, did it come out in a big way. And guess what we learned? This is going to come, this is going to be shocking. It's going to be shocking, but John Ziegler was 100% right again. That what happened here is that Chris Burroughs died of a, of a crystal meth overdose. Now, and he was engaged in gay sex with a man he had met uh, for the fourth time, I believe, via the gay dating app Grinder. Now, this is a guy who um, married seven-year-old daughter who is clearly uh, very, very experienced in the gay lifestyle based upon the details that were revealed. <laughs> This was not this guy's first go-around. This was not his first rodeo. In fact, he was going so far, it's probably what caused his death. And I'm not going to get into uh, the alleged details, but there, there was an article put out by a, um, I don't know what you would call it, an, a, a tabloid source called The Blast that appears to be competing with TMZ. And they put it all out there on Friday night. I mean, they put it all out there. And it was as gross and disgusting and as over the top as you could possibly imagine. And how he injected the crystal meth and what was happening when he died. I mean, it was the most horrible thing you could possibly ever imagine. You, I mean, you forget it. You couldn't even use your imagination to determine how bad this was. Now, interestingly, the blast, without issuing a correction, has totally... Uh, stripped their original article of some of the more salacious details. My guess is, reading the tea leaves like I am pretty good at doing, since they did not issue a correction and they did not take the story down, they're not retracting it. They just decided, you know what, (laughs) we probably went too far. (laughs) This was one of those stories we probably didn't need quite as much detail as we provided. And so we're uh, we're just going to tone this one down because they went straight to 11 on this. Uh, They said they brought it back down to an 8 or a 9. But here's the most important part. So the guy... Claims to be sick that day. He's, he's at work. He claims to be sick. And then he ends up dead. Now, right there, right there, if you're somebody at KTLA, you know, first of all, let's be real. The people at KTLA knew he was doing drugs. And I'm darn sure some of them there knew he was gay. All right. So, so they knew he was doing drugs. They probably knew he was gay. 
if you leave work sick and you end up dead, there's only one plausible scenario then. Oh my God, Chris was at home and he, you know, just keeled over and, poli- and uh, police and, and, uh, and rescuers came over. They couldn't save him in time and this is a tragedy. That would make sense. He was sick, right? But as soon as you hear he was at a seedy hotel in Glendale and in an unknown mail called 911, now you know the whole story is bullshit. That he lied to get off work and now... Everything you're saying about him being this great family guy and it's, you know, it's so horrible that this happened and he had no hand in his own death, that's all bullshit. And so, of course, when this all comes out, I go on Twitter, I go, uh, you know, basically, see, I told you so. And what happens again? I get ripped again. (laughs) So there's no benefit in being right ever. You get nothing but criticism, which, of course, goes back to the Jussie Smollett situation. That, that, that's why no one wants to bother calling bullshit on these stories. Because you get no benefit. I got ripped when I called bullshit at the beginning. I got ripped when I was vindicated. And not by just one or two people, by lots of people. Oh, outrageous. Who cares? He's dead. Don't speak ill of the dead. Think of his, of his seven-year-old daughter. Think of his seven-year-old daughter. Maybe he should have thought about his seven-year-old daughter when he went to a seedy motel doing crystal meth while getting fisted by his gay lover he just met on Grindr. Maybe he should have thought about her then. Maybe he's the problem. Not me. Come on, people. Can we focus on who the problem is? I'm not the problem. The guy telling the truth is not the fucking problem. The problem is enabling bad behavior, which is constantly happening all over, whether it's our president, our celebrities, our newscasters, and, of course, maybe the most important element of this whole thing is KTLA didn't just do fake news. They did fairy tale news. This was a fairy tale they created. A total fairy tale. <sighs> now, another story that uh, is somewhat similar that I have a tangential relationship to is that Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, who have just won yet another Super Bowl, in the, maybe the strangest story of the week, if not more, uh, has been charged with soliciting prostitution in a, a child trafficking ring that I don't even fully understand, uh, that uh, came out of Jupiter, Florida. Now, my first inclination on this story is, okay, well, how in the world is Robert Kraft going to a a, a dingy uh, Asian massage parlor to get a happy uh, ending? I mean, uh, really? And and you're going to charge him with that? You're going to charge him with that? Really? Seriously? I mean, I mean, who's who's being harmed there? And of course, there's the issue of why is Robert Kraft even doing this? I mean, <laughs> my gosh, there are all sorts of hotties that would be happy to to uh, do whatever Robert Kraft wanted for free. And and I believe he has a very hot girlfriend. At least he has had a very hot girlfriend who's much much younger than he is. So I don't I don't understand it from Kraft's perspective. I don't understand it from the prosecution's perspective. Uh, the, the, the tangential relationship to me is that Robert Kraft happens to be the guy who got me my first job in media. He owned uh, WNEV TV, the CBS affiliate in Boston. Uh, when my father was uh, working in Boston and my father had some, uh, business contact with him and he set up an internship for me at the, uh, at CBS affiliate in Boston. It was the best summer of my life. 1988. I was working in both sports and news. Interestingly, um, so many interesting things happened that summer, but my favorite, my favorite story in the long run, especially considering how my career turned out and how his career turned out, is that um, there was a morning show host uh, on that station while I was there. I did a, a very kind of corny morning show, and that was back in the day when local TV news actually thought of themselves as journalists. These were very serious journalists. And this particular morning host, there was an unwritten rule. They were not even allowed in the newsroom because no one in the newsroom wanted to be associated with this corny morning show. And we needed to keep everything separate. There needed to be a firewall between the 
the hard-nosed journalists of the of the television station. By the way, we're like the third-ranked station in the in the market. We thought very highly of ourselves from our journalism perspective. The name of this um, corny morning TV show host was Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer, <laughs> <laughs> who ends up. You know, being the man on the morning of 9-11 is uh, really probably doing the best job of anybody that did uh, that job on the morning of 9-11 live on the Today Show. And, of course, I end up doing three major interviews with Matt Lauer on different stories before he ends up getting shit-canned in what I still believe was a railroad job to get rid of his uh, far too high salary. But anyway, that's my connection to Robert Kraft. The most interesting element of that story is that Adam Scheffner of ESPN, and I don't know, this could be bullshit, but it didn't sound like bullshit when he said it. He's a somewhat decent reporter, although he's been wrong many times before, and I guess potentially this could be a misunderstanding, but it got a lot of play, and understandably so, that Scheffner said, very intriguingly, that Robert Kraft is not the biggest name connected to this investigation. Bum, bum, bum. What? How many names are bigger than Robert Kraft? And, of course, I'm thinking immediately, Rutrow, Jupiter, Florida. We're not going to get a Tiger Woods sequel, are we? Tiger lives in Jupiter these days. I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is not involving Tiger Woods, but Tiger would certainly be in the category of bigger names than Robert Kraft, and he lives right there, and we all know how Tiger... Tiger likes a happy ending, so uh, who knows? Stay tuned on that one. Another story <clears throat> to which I have a connection, and this is why we don't have a guest for this particular edition of the World According to Zig podcast, deals with the lawsuit against the Washington Post by Nick Sandman, the um, so-called Covington Catholic kid with the red MAGA hat who got destroyed by the news media unfairly in his uh, confrontation with Nathan Phillips, that uh, fraudulent American Indian in front of the Lincoln Memorial several weeks ago. I am all in on the fact that the Covington Catholic kids got treated unfairly by everybody, especially the news media and the Hollywood elite. However, this lawsuit against the Washington Post for $250 million, uh, folks, come on. It's just flat out ridiculous. $250 $250 million for the defamation of Nick Salmon. Now, their attorney is a guy by the name of Lynn Wood. This is my connection to the case. Lynn Wood is a friend of mine. Lynn Wood has been on this podcast before to talk about uh, his role in the Jean Benet Ramsey case, and he and I have talked a lot about several other cases. He is a big Trump supporter, and, you know, look, his job is to get money for his client. And he has done a masterful job. In fact, Trump even tweeted support for the lawsuit, which is insane. I mean, the president of the United States should not be tweeting support for a private lawsuit that he has nothing directly to do with against one of his arch enemies, the Washington Post and, uh, and the owner of the Post, Jeff Bezos. It's completely inappropriate. Totally wrong. Uh, and I asked Lynn Wood to come on the show to talk about this because while I am sympathetic to his client's cause, and Lynn's going to get this guy some money, I'm sure, and that's his job, and so more power to him. I have problems with the president, the precedent element of the lawsuit, and whether or not it's based in any real legality and what the impact of this lawsuit might be going forward. I am very concerned about this lawsuit. Now, Lynn had something come up in his family and uh, um, has said to me that he will make it up to me and will come on the show at a later point. Uh, but we were not able to schedule that for today. So that's why we don't have a guest as we normally do in hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast. But when I do talk to Lynn on this show, I'm going to, I'm going to be pretty difficult on him. I'm going to, it's not going to be, an, it's probably going to be the toughest interview he faces, assuming it happens because Again, I'm a supporter of, of Nick Sandman having been unfairly treated. But I, for the life of me, cannot find what the defamatory statement is that the Washington Post made. It certainly it seems to me as if, effectively, the defamation is them quoting Nathan Phillips and taking Nathan Phillips' side of this. And a lot of this wasn't even in Nick Sandman's name. So... There's, there's so many problems, and I don't want to get too deeply into it right now because I'll, I'll save it 
in case Lynn and I ever do an interview. But I'm not even sure, by the way, that Nick Salmon isn't a public figure, at least to a limited degree, which would change the threshold dramatically. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, how is a high school kid, uh, you know, a, a public figure in any way here? Well, and this is the world we're now living in that the law never anticipated. We're living in a world where you can become a public figure, pseudo celebrity, over, not even overnight, in an hour or two, without having done anything to facilitate it. I mean, so the reality is that video went viral. He didn't run away. He, you know, he, he knew he was being videotaped. So I think you can make an argument. And again, this is not fair, but this is, this is the way I think the law needs to be. Otherwise, you're going to create all sorts of unintended consequences that are going to be very dangerous. And basically, journalism is going to be shut down. That's my biggest concern, is that you're going to make journalism, which is already on death's doorstep, you're going to make it impossible because of the fear of lawsuits, which already pervades so much of news media. But uh, I think, you know, the best example I can come up with is, remember um, uh, Bartman, was it Steve Bartman, the Chicago Cubs fan from many years ago, who became famous because he he reached over for a foul ball and, it, and people thought that it cost the Cubs a playoff game. So uh, I think that in a weird way, Nick Sandman is a lot like Steve Bartman. Steve Bartman, all he did was something normal that you would do as a fan. He went after a foul ball. He didn't try to become a public figure, but I doubt very seriously Steve Bartman could have won a lawsuit against all the defamation that he got. <laughs> I mean, he was defamed probably worse than Nick Sandman. And, and now, granted, he was an adult. Salmon is not an adult. That does change things slightly. Uh, but, but we also live in a world where teenagers are and younger are public figures all the time. So anyway, my point is I have some real serious problems with that lawsuit. And I have particular problems with that lawsuit uh, coming on the heels of Clarence Thomas, allegedly the conservative constitutionalist on the Supreme Court, saying he wants to revisit the basis of our libel laws, which is exactly what Donald Trump said during the campaign. He wants to revisit the New York Times versus Sullivan. And if that happens, it would make it far easier for public figures to sue against media outlets for saying things that they don't like about them. Now, if that happens... Stick a fork in the news media, folks, because the number one fear is lawsuits when you're a big company. And there are all, it is difficult enough to get the truth out against powerful people as it is. Forget about it. Forget about going after rich, powerful people if that ever happens because you'll get sued into oblivion. The actual malice provision of the libel laws is the only thing protecting the news media. And I know about this. This is my connection to the case. I know about this exceedingly well because I was sued for defamation when I got fired in Louisville, Kentucky by a former girlfriend of mine named Darcy DeVita. I've talked about this on the podcast before. She was a television host for the Fox affiliate in Louisville. We dated. I made some true statements about her, which were very stupid, <laughs> but understandable in the context of my show and the segment that I was doing them. And uh, she ends up suing me for a couple million dollars. And in the course of that, this is people don't understand what actual malice means. Actual malice basically means that it, when you're talking about a public figure, for me to be liable for what has been said, I have to know that what I'm saying is false. Or at the very least, I have to have reckless disregard for the truth and say something that's false. Truth is an inherent defense. Well, our case was so overwhelming that when we were arguing about jury instructions, the judge actually decided, and this was the moment when my head was about to explode into a million pieces, the judge actually decided that he had to take out the actual malice instruction because if he left it in there, there was no way for the jury to come back and find me liable. Well, no shit, Sherlock. That's why I did what I did at the at the beginning of this because I know what the fucking law is. So, and, and we had a, 
uh, Clear Channel, which was the company I was working for at the time, because I got rehired by Clear Channel in Los Angeles after being fired by Clear Channel in Louisville, that we had appellate lawyers that were licking their chops, thinking this is going to be the greatest appeal issue in the history of appeals. This is this is a slam dunk of slam dunk. The the the, the judge is removing the law from the jury provisions so that we would have a ch- so that the plaintiff would have a chance. Well, as it turned out, the jury hated her even more than they hated me, so they still voted for me. That was the best part of the whole thing. They hated my fucking guts, but they really hated her because we had proved that she was a lying slut and all sorts of things uh, during the during the uh, the trial. And what I had said, she acknowledged what I said was true under oath. She acknowledged what I said was true. That's it. That's the end of a libel case against a public figure, right there. But Clarence Thomas wants to end that, and you end that. It's over, folks. It is over. There is no more news media. And, if, and of course, the, the troubling part of this is this happens, and I don't know that it's necessarily coincidental, to dovetail exactly with what Donald Trump wants. Correct. And that is, that is incredibly troubling. All right, uh, also uh, troubling, uh, the Democrats and, and their attempts to defeat uh, Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders has gotten in officially. Kamala Harris has had a, several bad episodes that I don't know how much they're harming her because I, I can't tell within, uh, you know, the liberal uh, political base. But, you know, she, she bragged about having done pot uh, on a black radio station and then uh, claimed that she was doing pot in college while listening to two black artists that didn't even exist then. So that, was, that story was bullshit. And I, I interpret it as we've now reached this bizarro world where Bill Clinton claimed not to inhale when he actually clearly did. I think Kamala Harris might be lying about inhaling to make herself cooler. And that's why her story doesn't fit with the facts. Now people say, Oh, she just didn't remember correctly. I don't know. That story felt like bull crap. And what furthers my belief that the story is bull crap is her father who's Jamaican issued a statement condemning her for this. Now, and nobody, how did they, how this didn't become news? I don't know. The father of a presidential candidate condemns his daughter over her claim that she was doing pot and that, you know, somehow because she's got a Jamaican father, that this was perfectly natural. Ha ha he he, because, you know, every Jamaican is uh, constantly high on pot. That made a, it was a total non story. And she's also come out for reparations for African Americans. Now, come on, people. Seriously? It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, you're, you're going to get Trump elected. You're going to get Trump elected if you keep doing this. I mean, you you want to get Trump elected, talk about reparations. That's what you want to do. How would that even work? Forget about the absurdity of the concept. But, I mean, the, beyond a Pandora's box, where do you stop? I mean, Elizabeth Warren is now in favor of reparations, and now she's going to add, uh, she says she might add American Indians to the to the group, I don't know if that means her, makes her eligible for reparations since she's one ten thousandth American Indian or whatever the hell she is. But but the point here is everything about what the Democrats is are, is do are doing right now is wrong. It is all playing right into Donald Trump's hands, right into his hands. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders pulling everybody to the left. Although I think Sanders being in there could ther- theoretically be good for Joe Biden if Joe Biden gets in. But we don't know if Joe Biden's going to get in. I'm hearing rumors that he might not get in because of fears about his own family. That And if Joe Biden doesn't get in, uh, wow, uh, it's going to be tough to beat Trump because I don't know that there's anybody else that's a deadlock sentient doing it. I mean, and I'm no fan of Joe Biden, but basically we're, you know, uh, going back to the— um, Simon and Garfunkel song, you know, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Where have you gone, Joe Biden? The nation turns its lonely eyes to you. I mean, that, that's how pathetic we are in the situation is right now. Our, the nation turns our lonely eyes to Joe Biden to try to salvage us from this shit show. Uh, but everyone's playing right into Donald Trump's hands. His approval ratings continue to increase. I continue to believe that it's in large part because there's a certain percentage of the population that just wants to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? And the worse things get for Trump, the more those people support him. That's the only rational explanation I can come up with. I'm not going to pretend that I have a better one than that. But, I mean, his insanity continues. Trump's does. He's declaring a new 4th of July holiday to basically celebrate him this year. 
Uh, he tweeted about that today. He's got the Kim Jong Il, uh, Kim Jong Un uh, um, summit, which is a big fraud this week. The Michael Cohen testimony is this week. I update uh, you on all that in the in- individual one podcast, which I hope you'll check out. Uh, oh, by the way, speaking of Di- uh, the Democrats, I got to mention the Diane Feinstein thing. The Diane Feinstein thing, where she gets. Uh, accosted by these brainwashed school kids over the Green New Deal. And part of the video comes out, and of course conservatives love it because it makes it look like she's basically telling them to go pound sand. I don't want to listen to you. You didn't vote for me. I've been doing this for 30-some years. I know what I'm doing. The Green New Deal isn't realistic. Well, liberals went bananas, which again falls right into Trump's hands, plays right into his, his, uh, his wheelhouse, uh, showing how nutty the left has become when even Dianne Feinstein is not leftist enough. Then a larger portion of the video came out, and this feels a lot like the Covington Catholic situation, where she uh, you know, was far more reasonable and was accommodating and said she might even vote for it and even offered one of the kids uh, an internship. So the liberals are, are, are attacking their own. They're doing everything Donald Trump could possibly want, and the Feinstein situation is a good example of that. Uh, Last thing I want to mention, I'm going to predict that the Oscars tonight, just not far from where we are in Los Angeles, the Oscars tonight is going to be the lowest rated Oscars probably ever, depending on how you do the definition of of the ratings. No host, uh, no real great drama, uh, very few movies people are really interested in. The biggest problem with the Oscars is they don't know what they want to be anymore. They don't embrace the controversy. They're afraid of it, so now they get rid of a host. Uh, and, you know, they basically turned it into a fashion show. The audience is no longer large enough to be a communal must-see moment within the American calendar. Maybe it is, still is for some people, but not a large enough audience to where it makes an indelible mark in our cultural memory. I mean, no one's going to remember a speech like, you know, Sally Fields saying, you like me, you really like me. I mean, that, you know, which was not all that interesting, but people still remember it to this day. Why? Because half the country was watching it. And then the next day, we weren't distracted by 18 million other things that happened. So we talked about it for a couple of days or maybe a week or so. This will be over and done with by, uh, you know, Monday afternoon in all likelihood, especially since uh, it's likely to be incredibly boring because they're afraid of causing any controversy. Well, that's my prediction on the Oscars. All right. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Make sure you check out the individual one podcast for all the analysis and latest news involving Donald Trump. Please share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast as well as individual one. And also make sure you do yourself a favor. If you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are... Mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, one, two, one, two.